Did you not know it's like a holiday weekend? Shouldn't you all be down at the shore? Not only is it a holiday weekend, but we are in the middle of a message series about sin. So it's like, if you needed a reason not to be here today, you've got a couple, but you're here. So how about a round of applause for yourselves? Thank you for being, go ahead, don't be shy, clap for yourselves. Yeah, you're great. I did have a lot of people tell me that they weren't going to be here, but they're going to listen online. So how about a round of applause for people listening online? Let's give them a round of applause. Well, not that, well, hang on, not that much. Don't go crazy. I mean, they're not here, right? But we do appreciate you listening online. Of course, we appreciate you being here today. Yes, we are in the middle of a message series about sin, uh, probably one of the least fun topics to talk about, like in a church setting, right? We talk about sin, or maybe hell's even worse. So let's, maybe we do the one-two punch, talk about sin, then we'll talk about, no, we won't do that. Um, I remember our, I just mentioned we're, t- we're celebrating our fifth anniversary coming up soon. Um, I remember our very first June together as a church. It was maybe the um, second or third Sunday, and I was trying to explain this thing that we Christians call the gospel message, the essential message of Christianity and, and being saved and what it means and what Jesus has done for us and this whole thing of dying. You know, the essential message, dying on the cross for our sins. And as I'm preaching that message, as I'm talking through that, as I'm trying to communicate that message, I say, you know what we really need to do as a church? We need to do a series on sin, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and you can invite all your friends. And nobody laughed when I said that. And they're like, are you serious? If you're trying to grow a church, don't talk about sin. So we had a lot of rough Sundays that first summer, a lot of tough crowds. But, but it's true, we do need to talk about this thing of sin because it affects every single one of us, whether we realize it or not, whether we, we use that term or not, this thing called sin affects us all. Last week, I gave you a, a whole bunch of definitions of sin, how we define sin, how we think about sin, and different ways that we can look at it. We can see it simply as breaking God's commands. Well, that sin, sure, and then there's some more advanced explanations, anything we say, think, or do. That sin, do you remember some of these definitions that I gave you last week, right? That sin. There's think, thinking of sin as a condition or a disease, the disease of sin. There's thinking of sin as as, as crossing God's boundaries. That's how we talk about sin a lot here at Hope, that God, because he loves each and every one of us, he has set up these boundaries for us to live within. And when we cross those boundaries, when we step outside of those boundaries, that's sin. And so that's how we talk about sin a lot here. We could talk about sin as, as wanting something more than we want God. Wanting something else more than we want God. Wanting something else more than we value that relationship with God. And so that's another way to think about sin. And then last week, if you remember, we ended simply by saying that sin is breaking God's heart. That's what, the sin is to break God's heart because God is invested in our lives and he does what wants best for us. And when we sin, we're not just hurting ourselves, we are breaking God's heart. And so today we're gonna talk about the problem of sin. And if I tried to list all the problems that sin causes, we'd be here all day. Um, so let's not do that. But basically what I wanna talk about today is the different, the different you know, kind of angles that sin can, how it approaches us in our lives, the different ways that sin, like some broad categories, hopefully it'll make sense as we go through, but there are these different ways, I'm going to give you three ways in which sin is a problem, and so there's this little um, note section in your bulletin, if you want to write stuff down, you can, if you don't want to write stuff down, fine, be that way, that's fine, um, but that's for you, if you want to write stuff down, you can, um, and so I'm going to give you like these three broad categories of, of problems that sin causes and how it's a problem for us, and uh, the first one is, is something that I started to talk about last, last week. And so the problems that sin causes, first off, there's the issue of collateral damage. Collateral damage, okay? And so it would be one thing, and I mentioned this last week, it would be one thing if someone like, like committed some sin or crossed over God's boundaries or did that thing they know they're not supposed to do, and they alone suffered the consequences, right? That, that kind of seems fair. You broke the rule, you pay the penalty, right? That's how it should work. But that's never how it works. 
That's never how it works. When someone crosses that penalty, when and all of us have done it, when we cross those lines, when we cross that boundary, we suffer some penalties. Sometimes we're not the ones who suffer. Sometimes there's more collateral damage than it hurts the actual person who, who committed the offense. And so there's this thing of collateral damage. It affects other people. It hurts other people. Now, last Sunday, now I used the example of drinking and becoming drunk, and I, I apologize for repeating that example. It's just such an easy example to use, but you think of the stories. How many stories have you read or been personally impacted by these things that happen? And you, you see it on the news when people consume too much alcohol, and they know you're not supposed to get drunk. And, and what does the Bible say about drinking? Don't get drunk, right? I can't tell you not to drink because the Bible doesn't say that. It says don't get drunk. So how many stories have you heard where people you know, get inebriated, get behind the wheel of a car, and kill somebody else, and they walk away? So there's that collateral damage kind of thing that happens where we enter into sin, we can hurt other people. We can hurt other people more than we're even hurting ourselves. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Thank you for bringing some levity, because this is like such a tough topic, you know what I'm saying? It's like the spray of a... There's no, way to, there's no way for me to tie that in, but that was just fun. I couldn't, I couldn't resist. But there's this collateral damage thing. You know, We're hurting other people. It's not just us. We hurt other people when we do these things. And, and, and here's the thing. It, people who are in a position of leadership, whether it's like you know, in a church or in, in like government or whatever, if you, if, you're like, if you rank pretty high up, if you're somebody who has a lot of authority, like the more consequences there are for your sin. If you ever read about uh, King Solomon, who Jesus describes as being the wisest man who's ever walked the face of the earth, that's Jesus, the Son of God, giving that designation to Solomon, okay? Of course, he wasn't talking about, you know, of course, Jesus was wiser than Solomon, but as far as human beings go, wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth, Solomon, Solomon. And if you know anything about Solomon's story, oh, it doesn't end well, <laughs> He had all this wisdom, and he shares this wisdom with us, and it's in the book of Proverbs, and it's in these other books of the Bible. He has this wisdom for us. But Solomon, towards the end of his life, I don't know what happened. Towards the end of his life, he stopped following his own advice, and he made these mistakes, and he committed these sins, and he knew he was not supposed to marry all these women. He's not supposed to do this, and he started marrying all these foreign wives because he knew, he knew this. He was wise enough to know if you do these things, that these other women, they're going to turn your hearts away from God and turn your heart to worshiping false gods. And so he knew better. He was wise enough, but for some reason, he compromised. For some reason, he committed that sin. He just got too old. What's that saying? You know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I don't know what that's from. Uh, but there's that thing there. And he just, he committed this sin. And, and, and so he was high up. He was the wealthiest man who ever walked the face of the earth, probably to this day, right? The most powerful man. I mean, this is when Israel was the superpower of the world. He committed these sins. And to this day, to this day, the nation of Israel is suffering. God said, I'm going to divide the kingdom after you. And that's what happened. The kingdom was divided. They've never been the same. They've never been the same. There's collateral damage when there is sin. There's collateral damage. There was, um, there was a, a pastor, and I'm not going to say his name because this is in recent history. There was a pastor who uh, was pastoring uh, you know, a mega church, and I don't know how many members you need to, to have a mega Are we a mega church? No, we're not a mega church. Um, I don't know how, what, what the number is that you're supposed to reach. And, and by the way, let me say this about the mega church thing. Some people think mega churches are terrible. Why you have that many? Some people think they're great. Being big as a church doesn't make it good, doesn't make it bad either, Okay. So there are megachurches. You could be big as a megachurch. You could be bad. I don't know. We're small. Does that make us great just because we're small? Well, no, it doesn't. 
But anyway, there was this pastor who was pastoring a mega church and, and, and just had such a powerful leadership, just was great as a leader, and he was leading this church, and they were growing, and they had all these members, and they had to set up these satellite campuses. Have you heard of this thing where they set up campuses in other towns because people are making this trek to come to this main campus? Like, well, let's set up other campuses, and we'll just do like a live video stream of this because this is how powerful this preacher was, this leader was, and so he did this thing. And so they had like 13, 14, I think 15 of these satellite campuses, and so he's leading this church, and he's sinned he sinned okay and so i'll tell you what the sin was in just a moment but what happened as a result of that because he was high up what happened as a result of that man's sin is that big old church closed and all those satellite campuses they were told well you can either find your own pastor you can close you can sell you none of those churches lasted all those churches closed now let me tell you what his sin is okay because it's not what you might guess what did he kill somebody i mean what's going on here no and it wasn't a sexual thing either because most of the time when you read the headlines, it's like, okay, a pastor does this terrible thing, and that's what... No, it wasn't about that. It was some other stuff. He was accused of plagiarism in some of his books. He was accused of spending a large sum of money for a publicist to promote his books and to get his books on a bestseller list and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, that's not that big a deal, is it? I mean, the grand scheme of sin things. And now, I don't know that we, the public, will ever know what the real issues were. You know, the full details were never released. But it was just some pride stuff. Just some pride stuff. Mm. See, that's big. That was enough. And that was enough. Whatever, we don't know the, the details, but whatever it was, that leadership board of that church decided, we can't go on doing this. You can't be our leader. And so the leader fell, and the whole organization fell. Now, I'm not here to tell you that was right or wrong. I don't know the details. And I know there are some people who think whenever a church closes, that's a bad thing. I don't believe that. Sometimes churches need to close their doors. Sometimes they need to close down. I'm just trying to make the point that when one person sins, when one person crosses those boundaries, there are, there's always collateral damage. There's collateral damage there, okay? Now, in general, you could take this very principle and apply it to, to, to all of humankind, because here's the reality. Every act of injustice or discrimination or the fact that there's inequality on this planet, it's like this whole collateral damage thing affects the entire species. We're all impacted by this. We live in this day and age where there are so many people who are vocal about these social justice issues. In fact, there's that term, social justice warriors. Have you heard that term? That sounds like a great thing, doesn't it? I've only heard it used in a negative sense. You know, oh, there comes a social justice warrior trying to solve. But it sounds like, oh, you're a warrior for so. It sounds good. But all these different issues, you know, inequality or inequality among the races or inequality among the, you know, within the genders or, or why they're rich and why they're poor. And all these people cry out and their protest, the cries, all the same thing. This isn't fair. This isn't fair. This isn't fair that this group of people is treated that way and that group of people is treated that way. That's not fair. And all of them are right. It's not fair. And sin and the collateral damage caused by sin. It's kind of like the butterfly effect. One person's greed or a small group of people, their greed can affect everybody else, people on the other side of the planet. You just don't know it. This collateral damage affects all of us. That's why there is injustice. That's why there's discrimination. That's why there's inequality because of the collateral damage caused by sin. So one of the problems of sin is collateral damage. Here's another one. Deception. Deception. I'm not talking about you telling lies. I'm talking about how sin deceives us or how we deceive ourselves into, into sin. There's this deception. And specifically, I'm thinking about how um, sometimes when somebody crosses those boundaries or commits a sin, there's no immediate consequences. Okay? And so there's no immediate consequences. And so if someone breaks that command, breaks that law, does that thing they know they're not supposed to do, and, and there's no immediate consequence, 
then there's that little bit of deception. It's like, well, I guess this is okay. I got away with it. I don't think anybody's hurt. Um, I don't see any collateral damage, not immediately, so I guess this is okay to do. And that's how sin lies to us, and that's how we lie to ourselves. And, and, and here's the problem, is that eventually these things can and often do, and almost always do, catch up with us. Uh, several years ago, I worked for, um, for a brief period of time, I worked for a nonprofit. Um, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't Christian, it was just a completely, um, you know, what's the word, secular thing. And so, I was, it was just a brief time, but there was a woman who worked there, and she had a great reputation, she was very kind and all this. And years after I left the job, we, uh, we find out, because it was in the newspaper, um, that this woman had been embezzling from this organization for years, for like a decade or so. And she had stolen tens of thousands of dollars from this nonprofit. And everybody was scratching their heads and saying, this, this was such a kind woman. How did she do this? How, did this? how did this happen? How does something on this scale happen? Well, I'll tell you exactly how it happened. Is that she stole a little bit once, didn't get caught. No consequences. No immediate consequences. And so she took a little bit more, didn't get caught. No immediate consequences. No visible immediate consequences. So she stole a little bit more, didn't get caught and so forth and so forth and so on. And so that's how this happened until he got to a point where all of a sudden it was like, where did all this money go? And she was busted. And you think about all the people in this nonprofit who work for this nonprofit who were impacted, the collateral damage, sure, but also the deception of sin. Now see, there's the, deception works on multiple levels here. And so the one level is to say, well, there's this thing if there are no immediate consequences, so it's okay. It's not okay, even if there aren't immediate visible consequences, okay? Because even if there isn't immediate collateral damage, there's damage in your heart, okay, in your spirit. You're compromising yourself. You're undermining yourself, and so there's damage that happens there, and as we said last week, not only are you damaging yourself, you're breaking God's heart. So some people commit these sins like, okay, everything worked out fine, I got away with it, and you never really get away with it, even if it looks like you got away with it, okay? And so there's the deception of sin, and, and you know, I, I, listen, I, I, one more example. Yeah, the whole stuff that happened with Tiger Woods way back, what was it, like seven years ago or whatever. Listen, I'm not picking on Tiger Woods. I'm not standing in judgment of him. But there's the same kind of thing there where he's like, you know, he had this relationship outside of his marriage and got away with it. And so he did it again and did it again and did it again. No immediate consequences. I guess I got away with it. And then all of a sudden, boom, it blew up and changed, you know, and impacted a lot of people's lives there. But there's that thing of the deception of sin. I guess I got away with it. No, you, you didn't get away with it. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting your relationship with your heavenly father. And so there's that. There's another thing, and um, the scripture passage that Holly, just Holly, no last name, that Holly read for us today um, really highlights this. And so it's the issue of, um, let me see if I put this a different way. Um, Tim Keller, I mentioned him last week. He's a great, great uh, pastor, great writer, great thinker. Um, Modern day C.S. Lewis, look him up. But he has on multiple occasions talked about sin in the same, same way we think about addiction, Okay talked about sin in the same way that we think about addiction. And the problem that people have with addiction, I mean, let's talk about specifically like substance abuse, is that you develop a tolerance, okay? And so that's the third category of problems that sin causes is tolerance, right? And so when you're thinking about substance abuse, someone is addicted to a substance and they use that substance and they get that high or they get that sense of relief or that sense of escape or that sense of relaxation, whatever it is. And so they use some of the substance to receive some kind of benefit, some kind of feeling, but over time, there's tolerance, right? 
And so you grow tolerant to that, and they need more of the substance to, to get the same high, and they need more of the substance, and they need more of the substance. And I mean, we did that walk not too long ago, the overdose awareness walk. This is how these overdose things happen a lot of the times. Is people just, need, I need more, I need more, I need more to reach that level of calm or peace or high or whatever it is. That's how it works with substance. But not only with substances, it can work that same way with, with other sins in our lives. We just grow tolerant to them. I mean, talk about like, I don't know, sins of pride and things related to that. Or, or maybe like, maybe you just have a craving. And we got to go back to one of the definitions of sin. Of sin as being wanting something else more than you want God. And maybe you just really, really want something else more than you want God. Maybe it's like you just want the approval of somebody. You know, you're dating somebody and you just want them to like, you just want their approval or you want the approval of your boss or you want the approval of your dad and you just crave that. You crave it, you crave it, you crave it, you crave it so much and it's like then maybe your dad, after wanting it for years, years wanting that approval, he gives you a little attaboy and it feels good, but then it goes away. It's like, well, I need more than that. I need more than that. I need more than that. You know, there's some people that are very career-driven and they're climbing that ladder. They get to that next level. They get to that next level. It's like, okay, once I get to that level, once I'm making this amount of money, whew, then I'll be set. And they get there, and what happens? It's not enough. It's not enough because there's a tolerance. It's the same kind of principle. There's a tolerance that develops there. Look at this passage in your bulletin. Let me read a little bit more of this story for you. So here's where we are in history. God has done this amazing thing for his people, for the Hebrews, for the Israelites. He's done this amazing thing. He has freed them from slavery. They did not have freedom. I mean, that's what it is to be a slave. They had no freedom. They were slaves. Slaves in Egypt doing the work, doing the work for their Egyptian overlords. They were slaves. And so they're there, and, and God does this thing, and he frees them from their slavery, and he allows them to, to no longer be there, and he, he's, gonna, he's about to bring them to the promised land. I mean, that's going to take some time. That's a different story. But he's going to take them to a land that's rich with milk and honey. He's going to take care of them. God has done these powerful, mighty things before them. They've seen the miracles and wonders of God. They have benefited from these things. And here's what happens. I'm reading from chapter 11. I'm going to start with verse 4. It says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. <laughs> if only. That's important. If only. If only. If only I had this other thing. What is that desiring something else more than you do? If only. If only. If only. If you have a feeling of if only, and that, that statement doesn't end with God. If only I had more God in my life. Okay, well, that's fine. If you have another way to finish that statement, if only I had, if only she were, if only he were, that's wanting something else more. If only I could afford that car. If only I could, whatever it is. If only I could gain that respect. And so here they have an if only. If only we had meat to eat. Oh, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt and no cost. We had free fish. Oh, those were the days. Also, cucumbers, melons, leeks. Now, who doesn't like a good leek? I mean, come on. <laughs> leeks, whatever that is, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna, this bread that God gives us. Oh, if only we had. It was so great back in the days of Egypt. Do you remember those days when we had meat? Hey, weren't we slaves? Oh, selective memory. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. It was terrible. They were being oppressed. I mean, the Egyptians were literally killing their babies. It wasn't great. Hey, but we got free fish. Come on. And so they complain. They grumble against They complain to God, the God who'd saved them, the God who freed them, the God who had done so much for them. They complain against them. Let's take a look at that passage. 
And so this is what God says. And so God says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. I've heard you. You want some meat? You'll get some meat. The Lord heard you when we wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Sounds good, right? All right. Thanks, God. Thanks for hearing our complaint. You will not eat it for just one day. Ooh, that sounds good. Or two days or five or 10 or 20, but for a whole month. Awesome. Until it comes out of your nostrils. And you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. How did God see this complaint? You want some, you want this, you want, you would rather be slaves and have free fish than be with me? You want some meat? I'll give you meat. Tolerance. We had some quail and it was good. Okay, but we need more quail. Tolerance. We need more quail. We need more. We need more. We need more. They gorge themselves. What an image that came out of their nostrils. And many, many, many of them died. That's how they died. Overdosing on quail. Okay, it's, I know it's ridiculous, but there's the principle that's there. Now this, I believe this is, you know, I believe the Bible, I read it literally. I believe this really did happen, that these people died from quail just gorging themselves. But there's also, a th- there's a lesson to be learned from this for us today. As we keep craving that thing, there's never enough quail. Whatever that thing is, there's never going to be enough. If it's not God, there's never going to be enough. If it's not God that you're craving, it is never going to be enough. You will develop a tolerance. You will develop a tolerance. All these things, you know, there's this, um, maybe you're familiar with this, it's, it's a program called Celebrate Recovery. It's similar to AA or NA, but it's Christ-centered. Instead of just relying on a, a general higher power, you're relying on Jesus. And so a lot of these programs, you know, how they happen is first they're dealing with substances and then they deal with other addictions. You know, there's, you know, sexual-related addictions, there's shopping-related addictions and all this, and then they expand and then they expand and then they expand. And it got to a point where there are certain leaders in this organization who said, I think everybody needs to go through this because we're all addicted to something. We need to go through this and find out what that thing is, find out what is that if only in my life? What is that if only I had this in your life? What is that to search that thing out, to find it? And they get rid of it. Tolerance. Tolerance is the problem of sin. And so if we continue to think about sin as, as addiction, and you think about the different, you think about NA, you think about NA, and if you're familiar at all with the 12-step programs that exist, and, and what's step one of those 12-step programs, all right? What's step one? Is, is acceptance, right, in a word. Accepting that you have a problem. That's the fir- On the road to recovery, first you have to accept and admit that you have a problem. Because if you don't take that first step, you're never going to be freed from sin. You're never going to be freed from it. You're not going to be free. There's no freedom. You have to admit, I have a problem. And so what I'm asking you to do today is to be humble, which is the toughest thing for us to do as human beings. And it's a challenge I'm putting on myself and for all of you and say, where, where am I addicted to something that's not God? What am I craving more than I'm craving God? Where have I developed a sense of tolerance? Where do I have this quest that seems to be never enough? What is this? We need to, each one of us, we need to accept that we have a problem. We need to stand up before God. You don't have to admit it to me. You don't have to send me your emails. Maybe you don't, before you would admit it to anybody else, just admit it to yourself. I got a problem with this. I, I got a problem. Just admit it to yourself. That's the, if you're going to recover, 
if you want to recover, if you want that freedom. I mean, it's all here in Numbers. It's all here in this passage. God's saying, I'm going to give you freedom, and you want something else instead. You want your sin instead of freedom. The first step is accepting. I've got a problem. You might need, no, I shouldn't say might. You're going to have to do some really serious soul searching here. What is it? You know, because so many of us who are Christians, we think we can go through life, we can commit these sins, we can do these things, we can cross God's boundaries, and we'll just manage it, we'll manage the consequences, we'll manage our behavior, and that's all there is to it. No, 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 it's a bigger issue than that. We have to, in humility, go before God and say, God, I have a problem. There are a lot of good things in this life, a lot of good things you can be craving that just aren't God. I want to be loved by my spouse. That's great. Is, do you want that more than God? I want to I earn that next promotion. Okay, well, that's fine. Do you want that more than God? What is it that you are addicted to? Where have you developed tolerance in your life? And here's the thing, and this is a little, you know, maybe I'm divulging some secrets of counseling here, okay? There's different levels of admitting. Did you know that? There's different levels of accepting. There's different levels of confession. And often when you're willing to confess something, you're just willing to confess the tip of the iceberg at first. And so again, I'm not asking you to talk to anybody other than yourself. Talk to God about this and say, okay, I'm willing to admit this much of a problem, but really there's a big old iceberg underneath. It's a much bigger heart issue. Are you willing to do some digging in your life? Hey, what a fun way to spend your holiday weekend, right? <laughs> yeah, let's cancel the barbecue and let me do some soul searching. Where, what am I craving more than I'm craving God? What is the if only in your life? But here's the thing. What does God promise? Freedom. What does Jesus say about the truth, among other things? is the truth is going to set you free. Be honest with yourself. Find the path to freedom. It begins with saying, I have a sin problem. It begins with saying that. I've got a sin problem. And don't do that pride thing where you're like, well, my sin problem is not as bad as that guy's sin. Don't even do that. Don't play the comparison thing. Accept that you have a problem in humility, and then God can bring you to that place of freedom where you're no longer a slave to sin, but you have freedom in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what you want? To be free? That's what I want. And so let's do that together. My prayer for you is that you will take that first step, that you will be on that road to freedom, that we will do this together as a church. In fact, let's pray together now. Lord Jesus Christ, we're, we're suffering from the condition of sin, and sometimes we're aware of it, and sometimes we're not. Um, but Father, we, we acknowledge that our sinful state, it, it limits our perspective. It inhibits us from seeing the world the way that you see the world. Sin prevents us from seeing other people the way that you see them and from for caring about the things that you care about. And so, Father God, we just, we want to be free. We really do, God. We want to be free from sin. And God, you know, I just pray for the people who are here this morning who aren't sure, make, I don't know if I want to be free. I just pray that you would give them a desire to want to be free, that they would want to want to be free, that they would want to give up that sin, that they would want to stop craving something else more than they crave you be with each of us, Father God. No one, no one here is above this. We are all impacted by sin. We are all sinners saved by grace. We're saved by you, Jesus Christ. And so help us to find the freedom that exists in following you. Free us from sin. Break those chains and give us that freedom. That's what we crave. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Josh. Thanks for